It's the 3rd of December. Our decorations are up. It's only 22 sleeps until Christmas. You know, and, and as I, I say that, some of you are probably, you know, you're excited, you've got a sense of anticipation, you're looking forwards. But for some of you, maybe as I say, there's only 22 sleeps to go, there's a bit of a groan. As you think about all of the jobs that you've got to do and this time which is rapidly shrinking in order to, to get it done. You know, there's the decorations to put up, we've not done that in our house yet. There's the, uh, the presents to buy, and, and you know what makes that hard isn't actually buying the presents, is it? It's remembering all the different people that you need to try and buy a present for, and then working out what it is that they want, and then after you've bought it, you've still got to wrap them all. It's like this kind of never-ending process. There's the food to make, there's the visitors that you'll have to come and stay, maybe the people that you're, you're going to go and see as you try and squeeze your entire extended family into this two-day window. Or maybe the reason that you're grown is because of the people you'll be missing. Because of the people that you won't see this Christmas. You know, Christmas can be full of so much joy and it can be something that we anticipate and we look forward to. But it can also be something that's stressful. And we can feel the the weight of expectations on us. It can force us to, to, to spend time with people that actually we find pretty awkward. It can be lonely. And it can hold painful Memories, And as we, as we try and, and do it all, and as we, we kind of uh, try and have this perfect Christmas, or if we simply try and put a smile on our face to, to kind of hide how we're really feeling just to make the best of Christmas, as we try and match up to all of the expectations, you know, as you try and, and match up to the expectations, you, but you just end up stressed and making a mess of things. Feeling like you can't do it. And you look ahead to all of the the jobs that are to come and you've got to do and the people you've got to see. You've got to make small talk with. Maybe as you look forwards and you look towards Christmas, what you're really thinking is who needs Christmas anyway? Well, many of you will, will know that Rosie and I added an extra member to our family fairly recently uh, when we got uh, our dog Evie. And um, any of you who have ever had a puppy will know that um, adding one into your family tends to turn life a little bit upside down for a while. Um, And I have to admit that there have been some challenges uh, along the way. Um, But one of the positive changes in the midst of it all, one of the great things that having Evie has brought about is that it has forced me to get out and about in God's creation as I take her for walks. And it's given me, forced me to have space to, to walk and to think and to pray. And one of my favourite walks that I, I like to do um, is to take her down to the coast and to go along from Charlestown to Carlion Bay, and, uh, and there's some great fields uh, on the route which we can play in things, it's great. And you get some spectacular views, uh, particularly this kind of time of year as you, you're walking through, it tends to be at the time the sun's coming up and you see the sunrise out over, over the bay, so it's beautiful. One, uh, the photo I've got doesn't really do it justice because it's only taken on my phone, but this is a picture um, of one of my walks earlier in the week. You know, and a sunrise can be so beautiful, can't it? You know, but one of the things that, that always happens is that after you've gazed at the, at the sunrise and you've enjoyed the, the beauty, you then kind of turn away and you go back to the walk. And, and every time what happens is, is the, as you turn away and you go back to the walk and you, you kind of you, you start to blink and you close your eyes, you have these spots in front of them. 
Something of the, the glory, something of the beauty of that sunrise has imprinted itself on you and you carry it with you as you go. And when this happened earlier in the week, I felt God speak to me and stir something in my heart to say that that's what he wants for us this Christmas. It's not about having perfect cookies. It's not about matching up to expectations. It's not about being busy with all of these different things that we try to do. Instead, God's heart for us is to slow down and to make time to gaze at the sun. To gaze at Jesus and his beauty and his glory and to allow it to imprint itself on us. So that wherever we go and whatever we're doing and whatever's going on, we're carrying Jesus with us. And his beauty and his glory is at the forefront of our minds. And so this morning I want to talk about how Christmas is a time to gaze at the sun. And to help us to do that, I want to take some time to to look at how John introduces us to Jesus in his gospel. Because you see, John doesn't tell us the story of the birth of Jesus in the same kind of way that Matthew does or, or Luke does. He doesn't tell us the story of the nativity that we're familiar with. He doesn't tell us about Mary or Joseph or shepherds or angels or wise men or donkeys or stables or mangers or any of those things that we, we tend to talk about. In fact, John isn't really interested in talking about the what or the how of the birth of Jesus. What he's really interested in is the who and the why. He's more interested in who this Jesus is who's just been born. And why is his birth so significant anyway? And my prayer today is that as we take time to gaze at Jesus, gaze at who he is and why his birth is so significant, that something of his beauty, something of his glory will imprint on us and that we will carry it with us throughout this Christmas season. And as John tries to imprint on us who Jesus is and why he's so significant, he goes back way before the things that we often think about with Christmas. You know, he goes back way before your your typical kind of stable scene that we all imagine. He goes right back to to the very beginning, and this is what he writes. It says, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So imagine Jesus for a moment. Not as a a helpless baby in a manger, but in a time before creation, when there was only God, there was God the Father, Jesus the Son, and there was the Holy Spirit in a a time when when there was no time. in 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 a place that we can't even begin to get our heads around and imagine and understand. And, and Jesus, the word of God, spoke creation into existence. He says, let there be light. And there was light. And then he, he speaks a word and the amazing, beautiful place that is the earth with all of its land and its waters just comes into being. He says a word and a mighty oak tree is planted by a river. Effortlessly, he creates an elephant, or a lion, and a dog, and a a herd of buffalo charging through the plains. Hundreds of sparrows in a flock in the sky, and a mighty eagle that's soaring above. 
Now John tells us that everything that was made, everything that we see, everything that we know was made by Jesus. He made the stars and the planets. He made the plants and the animals. Jesus made your mum. He made your dad. He made your friends. Jesus made you. And he loves you. And there was a time when God walked amongst his creation. He walked amongst all of this that he spoke into being. And we saw him face to face. But humanity destroyed much of that. We decided that we wanted to do things our own way. That we thought we knew best and we chose to reject God's ways. To rebel against him and to cast all of humanity into sin. And from that day onwards, all of the world was in darkness. From that day onwards, the world was broken. And there was suffering, and there was pain, and there was darkness. And John knew the reality of this. He knew the reality of this more than most. You see, when he's writing these words, he's at the end of his life. And he's experienced loss in an incredible way that few of us can begin to comprehend. He's lost friends and family members. He's seen the city of Jerusalem and most of his society and his culture destroyed. John was alive in the time of the, uh, when Nero was the emperor of Rome and he slaughtered Jews and Christians. He watched as a hundred thousand slaves were taken from the city of Jerusalem. You know, at this point when John's writing these words, he's looking back at a time when he remembers how he experienced his friends, Peter and Paul, being executed by the emperor, by Nero. And this is why what, what John writes next is so powerful, because we all face times in life when it's hard and when it seems dark. And so John goes on and he writes, In him, in Jesus was life. Not, not, not just physical life, because we all have, have that, but in him, and, and John, is, remember, he's at the end of his life, and he's looking back, and he's trying to put into words for all of us to understand, so that we can capture something of who Jesus is. So he's looking back in his life, trying to put into words who this Jesus is, and he says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. He is the light for everyone. And then John says, the light, the light, it shines in the darkness. And he thought about the darkness around him. And and in spite of everything that has happened and all the people that have died, in spite of everything that he's experienced, in spite of the temple being destroyed and so many of the things and the people that he's loved now being gone. In spite of all of that, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not And he must have paused for a moment and thought, what's the right word? Everyone understands that as light shines in the darkness, it exposes what's what's in the dark. But this light of Jesus, it shines in the darkness. And it's almost like the darkness is fighting back with all of the things that we're facing in life. It's almost like the darkness is fighting back, trying to snuff out the light, trying to choke it and blow out the light. What's the right word? And John says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He writes that in spite of all of the suffering and the pain and the struggles and the darkness, in spite of everything this world has tried to do to eradicate the light, in Jesus is life 
And that life is the light of all mankind. And the light, it shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It cannot overwhelm it. It cannot put it out. John is convinced that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what we face, no matter how deep the heartache or how extreme the fear, no matter how deep the depression, the light shines. It shines in that darkness. And there is no amount of darkness and there is no type of darkness that can put it out. And if you want to get an idea of what the the life of Jesus that is the spiritual light of all people does, then it can be be helpful to to look at physical lights and what they do. Here's a a picture, if you go on to the next one, of of a nightlight in a hallway. And if you have a nightlight as a child, nobody... I've got one hand, okay? One, one person's been brave enough. Our kids have had nightlights as a child. They, they've still got it in the hall there. So I'm, I'm used to this kind of going out and that being that eerie glow which is, is, is going on. You know, but what's the whole idea with a nightlight? What's it meant to do? You know, a nightlight helps you to see what's in front of you. It protects you from tripping and falling in the dark. And it gives you a sense of security that things are going to be okay. And that's Jesus for us. He's our nightlight. He reveals to us things that otherwise we wouldn't see. Things that otherwise could trip us up and make us stumble and cause us harm. He shows us and helps us to see it. He gives us the security that things are going to be okay, no matter how dark it might be, no matter what it is that's going on. Here's a picture of the biggest light in our solar system, the sun. What does the sun do? The sun brings warmth to a world that would be cold without it. It helps things to grow and brings life into the world. Without the sun, nothing could live. And the light of Jesus is like our sun spiritually. He brings warmth to cold hearts. When we've been hurt, when we've been broken, when we withdraw and we try and shut down, he comforts and he pours in his love. And wraps us in his arms of love and brings warmth to a cold and broken heart. He brings life into places that without him are dead. He causes good things to grow in us that would never be there without him. So when we think about Christmas and how Jesus is the light of the world, we're reminded that in the midst of the darkness, we can have hope. Because there is a light that the darkness can never overcome. Whatever we face, there is always hope and a reason to believe because Jesus is the life and that life is the light of all mankind. So John begins by by going to the very beginning and telling us who this Jesus is, that he's God, that he's the creator of the universe, that he is the, the light of all mankind. He is our hope in the midst of darkness. And then he goes on and he says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize it. Then in verse 14, we have this incredible statement. The word, that's God, that's Jesus, that's the creator of the universe, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. Now as he sits as an, as an old man, looking back over his life and thinking about Jesus, and what he wants us to know of who Jesus is, he says, God showed up in a body and made his home among us. And as we take time to, to gaze at the sun, if there is any part of who Jesus is that is going to imprint itself on you, if there is any part that you're going to marvel at and carry with you, let it be this. Because this is the miracle of Christmas. This is the, the gift of, of Christmas. You know, and as, as amazing as it is that God created us, you know, as amazing as Jesus' life was and all that he did and all that he taught, you know, as wonderful as his sacrifice for us is and as powerful as his resurrection from the dead is, this is the part of all of it that I struggle to get my head around the most. This is the part of all of it that amazes me and astounds me and makes me just kind of stand in awe the most. You know, we cannot even begin to imagine the unspeakable beauty and glory of heaven. And the power and the perfection and the majesty of God. And what did Jesus do as he's enjoying that? As he's God in all of his power and splendor and perfection and majesty, enjoying being in heaven in its beauty. He left it all behind. And he gave it up. Even though he was fully God, he chose to empty himself and make himself nothing. He took on the form of a slave becoming human, just like us. The creator of the universe, the one who flung stars into space, who spoke the earth into being, who effortlessly created mountains and seas, gives everything up and becomes a helpless baby asleep in an animal's feeding trough. I don't know about you, but that is a truth that I don't think I will ever get my head around. I don't think I will ever get over how incredible God's love is that he would give up the majesty of heaven for the weakness of a baby. All so that you and I could have a relationship with him. All so that his light could break through the darkness and bring us hope. And John writes a little later in probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, in John 3.16, why it is that God does this. And he says that it's because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. God's love motivates him to reach out to us and to draw near to us. And what we see with the miracle of Christmas is that there is absolutely no pit too deep, no chasm too wide, no problem too big that it will put God off. No matter how dark things may be, because of God's love, he is reaching out to you in the midst of whatever you're facing. 
God draws near to you and he chooses to make his home with you, even in the midst of the mess, even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the darkness, so that he can bring light and life into the darkness you're facing. And it's a light and life that that darkness can never overcome. Jesus is God with us. Yes, here at church, but at home, at work, when we pray, when we sleep, when we're driving, when we're eating, when things are hard, when things are great, when we lose our tempers, when we don't know what to do next. Jesus is with us. And his promise is that because he has crossed this great chasm from heaven to be here with us as we celebrate at Christmas, his promise is that he will never leave us. He will be with us always. And as John introduces us to Jesus, one of the things that is so amazing is that he makes it clear that this is about more than just God overcoming darkness. This is about more than just God bringing light into the whole world. This is personal. This is about you and me. He writes in John 1 verse 12, he says, Yet to all, that is to you and to you and to you and to you and to you, to all of us, yet to all who receive him. And then it's like he pauses again because he realizes that people might not understand what he means by receiving Jesus. How do they go about receiving someone who at the time which John is writing this down has already died and has risen and has gone to heaven? And so John does something amazing. He realizes that we need to to get how personal this is and how significant this is for our lives. We need to get how it's about something that we need to respond to and it's about us And so John takes two Greek words that have never been combined before in any of Greek literature. And he takes the Greek word for faith, to believe. And then he takes this little word that just means in. And he puts them together. It's something which has never been done before. And so he he says to those who receive him, how do I explain this? I mean, well, to those who believe in. And this is more than just believing that. This is more than just believing about Instead, it's the idea of trusting in something. So to those who believe in him, to those who trust in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, this isn't just a nice story that we celebrate at Christmas. This is personal. This is significant. This is relevant and it changes everything. God shows up and he becomes like us and he makes his home among us. And the whole reason why is because he loves you. And so that you can have a personal relationship with him. It's to break into the darkness with his light so that you can see him for who he is and know him for yourself so that you can have hope in place of despair. And you know, you can believe that something is real. You can believe that something is true without receiving it. You know, Christmas is only a few weeks away. And you know what? I believe that on Christmas Day, there are going to be some presents with my name on it. And I'm excited about that. You know, and I imagine it's fairly likely that that there'll be some presents with your name on them too. And hopefully you're excited about that. 
But you know, it's possible to get a present with your name on it. And you can believe that that present is for you. You can believe that that present is real. But it doesn't mean that you've received it yet. In fact, you can even believe that it's it's a, a real present for you and then do the opposite. You can say, oh, that's so nice of you to get me a present, but really you shouldn't have. It's too generous. It was too expensive. I I just can't accept that. Or you can make a show of accepting it to their face and then not be something you want and so you throw it in the charity shop. You can reject a gift that you believe in. If you're going to receive that gift and get to enjoy what's been given to you, then at some point, you've got to put your belief into action and unwrap it. Pull it out of the box and make it yours. Give it a place in your life, in your home, and keep it. When you put your belief into action, that's how you really receive the gift. And that's what it's like with Jesus. You can believe the truth. You can believe that Jesus was real. You can believe everything about him. But until you choose to put that belief into action and to believe in him, to trust in him, then you won't receive him as the light and life that is on offer to you. And so if John were here today, I think his question would be for us this Christmas, a very simple one. Do you believe? And not just do you believe the story, or do you believe that this is true, but do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus? Have you put your belief into action and received him as your personal saviour, as your light in the midst of the darkness? Maybe even a darkness that you're facing today. And God's promise is that those who believe in Jesus, to those who receive the gift of Jesus, they become children of God. They are born again as God's children. They become part of God's family. God isn't interested in in religion. He isn't interested in a bunch of people following rules and laws and things they've got to do. God is interested in having a relationship with his children. The gift we have to receive is one of being loved and accepted and included and secure in our standing with God and our relationship with Him. And they're big words. Maybe want something that God's wanting to do in your in your heart or in your life today is something along those lines. Maybe you've responded and you've received and, and you, you you know that you're a child of God, but actually there are still struggles within you with knowing that you are accepted with knowing that you're loved, with knowing that you're included, with knowing that you're, you're chosen, with knowing that you're precious and valuable, with knowing that you're secure in your standing before God and nothing can shake that. You know, and the promise is that in Jesus is life and that life is the light of all mankind. And so when we receive Jesus, we receive light and life. We receive light which guides us 
and keeps us safe and gives us hope in the darkness. But it's also a light which shines the truth into our hearts that we're accepted and that we're loved, that we're secure because of what God has done. And we receive the life, the spiritual life that gives us real joy and peace and purpose, not only now but for all eternity. And as we read on in in John's Gospel and across the Bible, we discover that the gift we have to receive is one of forgiveness. Because not only did Jesus love us so much that he was willing to, to give up the majesty of heaven, but he loved us so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself and to suffer the consequences of our sin, of our rebellion against God, so that we could be forgiven. So that we could not just see a light shining in the darkness, but we could be set free from the darkness altogether. And have a new beginning and a new life with Jesus. So, throughout this Christmas time, I imagine you're going to see a picture um, like this next one fairly often. You'll probably see it in town. You'll see it if you come to my house. When we've got our decorations up, there'll be something like this um, around the place. And uh, maybe you'll have one in your home too. You know, and when you see this scene or you see this kind of a picture, I want to encourage you not to just see it as this familiar thing that you place alongside the other things we see at Christmas, like reindeer and Christmas trees and snowmen. It's easy for it to fall into the background like that. But I want to encourage you to do two things. The first thing that I want you to do when you see this is to use it as a reminder to stop and to slow down, to pause and to gaze at the sun, to gaze at Jesus. Allow something of his love and his glory to imprint on you afresh. Because you know what, when you look at the sunrise, those spots might be there, but they disappear after a few moments. We've got to keep looking. We've got to go back again and again. To stand in awe of the fact that God, the creator of the universe, draws near to us in Jesus. That he is the light of the world shining in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. That he brings us hope. And then as we trust in him, as we believe in him, as we receive him, we become children of God. To use this as just that prompt to gaze at Jesus and to allow his glory to imprint on you so that you carry it with you and your heart is moved continually through this Christmas time to worship him and to thank him and to praise him. The second thing that I want to encourage you to do when you you see this kind of a picture, when you see a nativity scene like this around, is to use it as a reminder to keep trusting in Jesus, whatever you're facing. To receive him into your life. To receive his forgiveness and his hope. To receive his love and his acceptance. To allow him to shine his light into the areas of your life that maybe... Maybe you feel ugly areas and you don't particularly want a light shone on, but allow him to shine that light in there because the darkness only has a power when it stays dark. And once the light of Jesus shines, it loses its power. Because as John says, the darkness cannot overcome it. 